The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hello, this is Jason McNamara, writer of the Rattler graphic novel, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 253 of THN, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 27th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter, and when I'm not trying to watch the crappy first round of the NBA playoffs while simultaneously watching the super boring NFL draft and the dumb Capitals beating the Penguins in overtime, all while writing this script, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not celebrating National Email Debt Forgiveness Day by finally sending Matt some pencils for the untold tales of the two-headed nerd. Yeah, don't get too excited, nerds. I'm still reminiscing about my days as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, where I will be doing sketches for charity this Saturday at Free Comic Book Day, where we will be recording live. It's going to be awesome. Just like we did last year. Come make fun of us. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our in-depth reviews of Aliens Defiance number one and Four Kids Walk Into a Bank number one. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's comics faster than the cops can take a crap on our unsanctioned Superhero Day Parade during the ludicrous speed round. Permits. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're being visited by the ghosts of several fallen Captains America to talk about Cap Civil War theories and our must-read picks for next week's comics. And finally... We celebrate the first THN team-up, where two of our listeners, Jason Sexier and Anthony, currently presiding in Brooklyn, sit down for a coffee and cigarettes-style interview with each other to just bounce some stuff off each other, right? It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully. We'll see. (laughs) We haven't listened to it yet. But before we fire up our gas mask bongs and start painting the Kelly Ripa fan forum with threats to Michael Strahan, we want to extend our happy National Superhero Day wishes to you and yours. But let's not forget, the 28th was also National Biological Clock Day. Joe, yours is ticking. TikTok. And World Day for Safety and Health at Work. I forgot to pick that up. I'm sorry. Oh, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Roll our days without incident back to zero. (laughs) (laughs) This week, Black Mask Studios unveiled their publishing slate for the remainder of 2016. This is like the all Black Mask show, isn't it? I guess it kind of is. The publisher announced a dozen new titles, including return volumes for Space Riders. So... Awesome. I love Space Riders. The critically acclaimed We Can Never Go Home, as well as the hugely successful Kickstarter project Black, which we supported on Kickstarter. It's true. By the way, I spent some of our money on it. Oh, hey, thanks. And Four (laughs) Kids Walk Into a Bank, which we'll be talking about later on in this very program. That is my drug money, you son of a bitch. I spent 10 bucks. (laughs) Now, Matt, why don't we take a look at the rest of Black Mask's upcoming projects and judge them harshly? Before we do that, a little word here. A lot of people got pissed at Black Mask for a while there because some of their projects were just sort of thrown out to 
huge acclaim and then stopped coming out all together. But they were all minis, right? No. We Can Never Go Home was a mini? No, I know that was, but that even that had a huge delay. Young Terrorists. Oh, Young Terrorists. Huge acclaim. It's done. And the creators are like, I don't know why they're not putting it out. And Black Mask was kind of quiet as to what happened. Same with Space Riders. We got two issues of that. And then it kind of, where did that go? So I'm glad to hear it's coming back, but I'm also very curious as to what the hell was going on. But let's get into it. Hopefully, we'll see these. (laughs) Starting in June, a month from now. That's next month. Jade Street Protection Services by our friend, writer, Katie Rex. That's right. We know her. I didn't even know she did that stuff. Yeah. I thought she was just professionally snarky on the internet. Don't you remember we talked about her Kickstarter on the show? No. For that graphic novel she did? Uh Uh-uh. She's doing? No memory. Strange Wit? Gone. Sorry. (laughs) You do too many drugs. With artist Fabian Lillet, colorist Mara Jane Carpenter, and covers by Annie Wu, who we really like. Yes, you may know her from Hawkeye and Black Canary. The all-new creative team, Jade Tree Protection Services, is Black Mass' first all-ages books, and it's described as the breakfast club of Hogwarts. Sold! (laughs) I'm in! That sounds fun as hell. Next on the list is Kim and Kim from writer Magdalene Visaggio. Artist Ava Cabrera, colorist Claudia Aguirre, and covers by Tess Fowler from Rat Queens, and Devaki Niogi from Curb Stomp. We did talk about that we book on the show, Curb, Curb Stomp. Stomp. We it was it. pretty crazy. Yeah, nuts. Uh, this is another all-new creative team, and when they announced these books, they kind of made a point to to say, you know, this is a book from a returning Black Bass creator, or this right. is a book from all-new creators. This is all-new creators. Kim and Kim is a tank girl-esque buddy adventure about a trans woman and her best girlfriend. There you go. The art is amazing. No shortage of inclusion here. Absolutely. <laughs> I yeah. I'm all for it. Next up, we got Run for the Shadows, and this is probably by the biggest name they've ever had right at Black Mask, J.M. Dematius, who wrote Spider-Man Craven's Last Hunt, a story you and I both love, yeah. and a lot of Justice League that we both love. Yes. Uh, Matt Pizzolo is also writing it from Young Terrorists and God Killer. With artist Josh Hood, who drew We Can Never Go Home, cover by MNK Nahulpan. Oh, yeah. There's no way we're saying that right. Love that guy. But he's very talented. MNK, call us. Tell us how to say your name. MNK Nahulpan. <laughs> Woo! They're calling it a lyrical and fantastical tale of rebellion, redemption, and hellfire. But most of all, a story of family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about Julie, a good girl from an elite family with her whole life ahead of her until she got mixed up with a bad boy, Winston. Are there really bad boys named Winston? After- Every person named Winston I've ever Winston. known has been a sin. <laughs> After a decade of hard drugs and harder living, Julie is finally pulling her life back together in rehab. She undergoes intensive therapy that unearths a deeply repressed trauma, her memory from being 16 and giving up her and Winston's baby for adoption. That's heavy. Man. But it's all a lie. Oh. Implanted memories. Oh, man. Conspiracies. What? Baby kidnapping. What? Winston, you done or dirty. Damn. Well, maybe. We don't know. Maybe Winston had to do it. You don't know Winston. We don't. Yeah. Uh, no judging Winston. Like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, look, you got Winston Zedmore. You got Winnie the Bish from New Girl. Those guys are great. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. I mean, come on. Oh, I don't know if his name is Winston. Is of Winnie course. short for Winston? Yes. Winston the Pooh. Yeah, he's a boy. From okay. England. Of course it's Fair Winston. Enough. Later in 2016, we've got The Skeptics from writer Teeny Howard or Tiny Howard. Let's go with Tiny. Yeah, Tiny Howard. I picture him like nine <laughs> feet tall. <laughs> with art by Devaki Niogi from Curb Stomp, who Probably we Probably my earlier. new favorite name in comics. Devaki Niogi. I really like it. All right. That's a good one. 
This is a stylish period political adventure about a pair of hip, clever teens. Hashtag teens who fool the world of the 1960s. Hashtag 60s. Who who fool the world of the 1960s into believing they have superpowers like X-Men first class meets Project Alpha. So they're just like faking it. They're lying. That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Like a cross between kill your boyfriend and a hard day's night. But about politics and ethics and how punk rock it is to be the smartest person in the room. Being smart's the new punk rock. That's right. I like it. That's why I can't be punk anymore. The Forevers. Because you a dummy. Because I'm a dummy. Yeah. From writer Kurt Piers, who wrote The Fiction, we reviewed that. Yeah, I liked The Fiction. And Mayday, we reviewed that too. I, I don't remember Mayday. But we did but review it. I definitely liked The Fiction. Artist, Eric Pfeiffer. Arcadia. Oh yeah, I like Arcadia. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Five friends struggling on the brink of stardom sacrifice everything in a black magic pack that brings them all the wealth and glamour they ever wanted. But now, years later, the glow is fading. No haven't they ever read any story yeah, ever yeah, yeah. written? This doesn't. This never goes well. Oh no, no. But here's the best. Here's the twist. As the glow is fading, they realize that if they kill one of the other members, Ooh, they retain they, the glamour longer. Highlander style, Ooh, like they get stronger. Man, that black magic. Don't mm. mess with the kids. We've told you a million uh, it's times. Like, it's like the craft meets rising stars. Kind of. Yeah. Meets the Highlanders. Yeah, meets Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we've got No Angel by writers. Oh. Here's a weird curveball. I should have read this before we recorded. Uh, writers Eric Palicki of Guardians of Infinity and Adrienne Palicki, who plays Mockingbird on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, yeah. And she was on uh, she was Tyra Friday, from Friday Night, Night Lights. Lights. Yeah. She was my favorite Texas slut from oh, Friday Night Lights. Is she married to this dude? Or are they related? Time out. According to Wikipedia, Eric, Adrienne's older brother. All right. He is a comic book nerd that got her into comics. I love it. Now she's Mockingbird. I love her even more. Uh, this is drawn by artist Ari Sayarazad. Yeah, that one's all yours. Jeez. I apologize. The only place with harder names is probably professional hockey. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> it really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's a little bit about it. Religious texts from the Bible to the Sumerian tablets speak of strange creatures descending from the heavens and mating with humans. Yikes. Whoa. Their children, the superhuman heroes of myth. None of this ever meant anything to Iraq war veteran Hannah Gregory until she found herself in the crosshairs of a dangerous cult convinced that she's a descendant of these dangerous bloodlines. Gross. Ooh. It's like the Elohim conspiracy stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, they are saying that no angel is a cosmological and conspiratorial modern Western <laughs> in the style of preacher meets justified by way of Jodorowsky. Why not? That is a lot of words. Why not? That all means something to me <laughs> and I'm interested in it. Next up, the dregs by writer Zach Thompson from Vice. A couple, so are these guys that write for Vice? I don't know. Okay, after much research, there is a Vice comic book. From these people did the not write it. It was yeah, 2005. So maybe they are just, it doesn't matter. They are writers. They have experience writing. And they may write for Vice. <laughs> the, website, the actual yes. news website. Zach Thompson. With and all the good Lonnie looking Nadler. people, all the good looking vegans with well thought out tattoos that go into conflict areas. Yeah. <laughs> Artist Eric Zawan. Oh, I'm sorry. Zawadski. Zawadski. He's got to be a Polak from who did Last Born in this blood-soaked satire of gentrification. <laughs> an exclusive new restaurant called Pijin becomes the hottest spot in town by serving high-end dishes of human flesh. Ah! <laughs> My flesh. Where is the meat coming from? No one knows for sure, but a drug-addled homeless man 
Arnold Tim notices his friends disappearing. Oh, gross. They're eating homeless people. Oh, it's a modern spin on Sweeney Todd in our world of excess where a touch of celebrity can make even cannibalism seem downright sexy. I'm hungry now. There's nothing sexy about eating hobos. Tomorrow's Ashes is the last book on the list written again by Matt Pizzolo with art by Anna Weisscheck. Apologies oh, to everyone, everyone that works for Black Everyone, Mask. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these are the creators of God Killer, and they are returning for an all-new saga in a twisted future where America has been divided into warring city-states, escaped slave girl Halfpipe, <laughs> and grifter Soledad roam the savage land of the fringes between civilizations. When they come upon a strange relic, they will uncover a secret history of America's destruction. Punk rock. Mad Max, basically. I'm into it. In typical fashion, all these books from Black Mask have a very punk rock sort uh, of feel behind them all. That's sort of what they do. Black yes. Mask is put out by the same people that run Epitaph Records, a beloved American punk rock label that I had the pleasure to work for. They put out good comics. This all sounds like a lot of fun. I like Black Mask. I, I hope we see it all. I do too. Uh, this is a great list. These creators uh, have turned out good books in the past. It's an exciting company if, yeah, like you said, if they can actually get the products out, it'll be a reason to celebrate. Next up, I have some really good news. Well, cool news anyway. 25 years after Bones' debut, Jeff Smith will return to his popular character for an all-new tale announced via Boneville. Bone Coda will see Smith return to the character that he wrote and illustrated for 55 issues between 1991 and 2004. I know how much you love Bone, Joey. I love Bone. In fact, I think that's one of the first jokes we ever made on the show is how much I love Bone. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> it's uh, what a long five years it's been. I have a confession. Okay. I never finished it. You never finished Bone? I never finished what it. What is wrong with you? How could you not? This arrives this July. The series is going to commemorate Bone's 25th anniversary. That's a long time. That is a long time. A new and completely superfluous adventure featuring the Bone Cousins. The issue, which will be written and drawn by Smith, will focus on the cousins and Bartleby, the baby rat creature, as they travel across the desert back to Boneville. Yay! But is it just one issue? It's like a graphic novel. Okay, okay. And then attached to the back will be The Complete Bone Companion, which is a book that exists already. But this will have new illustrations, and so it'll be in the style of those companion books like the Hellboy Companion, which cool. I really love. Cool. And it's written by the same guy that wrote the Hellboy Companion, Stephen Stephen Weiner. <laughs> Maybe it's Weiner. Uh, it's Weiner. So Bone Coda arrives this July from Cartoon Books. Here's the thing: it's probably because his sales on Tukey Saves the Humans suck. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to play it down. Now, that is not an idea that we're floating out. I read this yeah. in, a, in a comment thread somewhere in the story announcement where somebody pondered, is he going back to this well and churning out this volume? Dude's got to make money. Because his new indie book, Two Key Saves the Humans, is selling so very, very poorly. Yeah. And it is like 3,500 copies an issue. And it did not catch fire like bones. It's not, unfortunately. I didn't love it. Yeah, I fell off like, pretty quick. His last book before Tukey, Rassel, mm -hmm. I thought I liked that one better. I thought I kind of fell off that one too. It just got too weird. It's weird, and I did fall off of it. But yeah, yeah I just wasn't that into the Tukey. But as much as I love Bone, 
I'm not that into Tukey. <laughs> That's not really a thing, but I tried to make it a thing. That should probably be the title. <laughs> Whatever the reason, I'm very excited. Yeah. And if nothing else, it has kind of gotten me inspired to dig up that book. It's in a box somewhere in my apartment. I got to finish it. Shame on you. I love it. I really love Bone, and I feel bad that I never read the end of it, but... Everybody shower the THN forums with shame on Joe Patrick, please. This is ridiculous. Shame! Shame! <laughs> okay, I'm a little bit beside myself with this last story. <laughs> I can see his nipples poking through his coat. Just, just <laughs> razor sharp. A gallery of photos has appeared on Imgur that reportedly shows a movie theater. I think it's Imgur. Imgur. <laughs> that reportedly... That reportedly shows a movie theater that has been altered to serve as a set for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. The theater's marquee reads Simon Williams Film Festival and shows numerous posters featuring actor Nathan Fillion as Simon Williams in a variety of films. Comic fans, of course, will recognize Simon Williams as the alter ego of the one and only Wonder Man. One of my favorite Avengers of yes, all time. Yes, yes. Now, Matt, the very idea that the presence of these posters opens the door for a Nathan Fillion Wonder Man, even a crack, it fills me with real joy. Who else do you get to play Wonder Man? I mean, for real. There, there is one person, and that person is Nathan Fillion. He's per- he's perfect. Ugh. Absolutely perfect. They got to put him in the shades, and he's got to wear the jacket. With the I, collar popped. Yeah, I need that big, <laughs> fat, red leather jacket. Yeah, it's got to be full-on ridiculous. Oh, the man. posters in the theater, they all consisted of homages to famous films, including what appears to be Tony Stark, a nod to the Steve Jobs film, like a Tony Stark biopic. The Toxic Janitor, a riff on the Toxic Avenger, who Gunn directed a sequel to. <laughs> and of course... Archon, a movie based on the warrior who most recently appeared in the Secret Wars tie-in Weird World. In the comics, Simon Williams did indeed play the interdimensional barbarian in a series of films in Marvel continuity. It's wonderful. There it's you perfect. go. <laughs> this is the nerdiest shit ever if they're going to do this. I can't even imagine Wonder Man appearing. <laughs> the Russo brothers have come out and said that there's going to be something stupid like 70 characters in the next two Avengers movies. Oh my God. They've got to come from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just have Nathan Fillion wandering around downtown or whatever. Sure. He gets blasted by an alien. Yeah. What's it? And because I don't need or the whole. he already got blasted. He got blasted during the event. Oh, yeah. Uh, it happened. Baron Zemo is, uh, they're introducing Baron Zemo in Civil War. Yeah. In the comics, Baron Zemo is responsible for creating Wonder Man. There you go. There you go. Get it done, Marvel. Get it done. Get my Tigra in there, too. Otherwise. Tigra? Tigra. You weirdo. Ow. You furry freak. <laughs> so sexy. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums, where Joe is counting down his top 10 Simon Williams films and posting pics of his Wonder Man cosplay. And it is something. Woo! Every Sunday, the president of the West Coast Avengers Cosplay Club and Association, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week at the coolest place in the internet, THN Forums. Is it a club and an association? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. both. That's how important it is. Okay. Joe Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from the official THN historian, Jason Sexier Sachs. 
who writes this on the forums. He's getting a lot of play on this week's show. Hey, guys. In honor of the death of Prince and of David Bowie, can we discuss a favorite comic that involves music or musicians? And Merle Haggard. I mean, come on. And Merle Haggard. And Merle Haggard. Yes. Counts. Of course he counts. Yeah. I think that's a great question. We're, we're expanding that to include, I think it's two separate questions. Your favorite comic book that is about music or musicians. Okay. And also, we want you to name your favorite fictional comic book musician. Yeah, that was me. I came up with that one. Yeah. Because there's one I want to so, talk about. It's a two-part question. It's not Dazzler. D- Dazzler's barely a musician. You- oh, you stop it. Look, man. You watch your dirty mouth, she's a- sir. You think I'm just going to let you sit here and disparage Allison Blair's talent? She is a talented woman. She ain't no Britney Spears. She wrote her own stuff. She sang her own songs. All right, then. She danced. She farted light out of her butt while she did it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> You've got until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday. May 6th to get us your answer. That is a firm deadline. That's you know right. why? Because Saturday's free comic book day. Right, folks. And we are not f***ing around on free comic book day. No, we'll be recording sir. live, probably, from Legend Comics and Coffee. <laughs> We're going to shoehorn it in somewhere. It's going to be awesome. I'll be drawing my little ponies all day, and then I'll have to take a break to do this nonsense. You can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, and leave a message. And if you're not busy with your sexy Tiger fan fiction, wow. God. You can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off. You know the drill. It's happened to some of you. If you need more time, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN Web Forums. And then tune in next week to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. Hey, props to you guys. You've all been very good about the two-minute mark recently. We haven't had to cut anyone off. Way to go. Wait until this week. And we have our hybrid Frankenstein call from John Luttrell, <laughs> Sean Wedding, John Bunger, and Wooly Toots. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's review time in the Ziggurat where we read and discuss two of this week's comics and then rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Then we smash them together and make them fight. Wham! Wham! <laughs> Matt, who are you throwing into the octagon this week? (laughs) This week, I picked up Aliens Defiance, number one from Dark Horse. It's written by Brian Wood. And yes, every time Brian Wood puts a new comic out, I do review it. Okay? Screw you guys. With art by Tristan Jones, 32 pages, $3.99. This past week, in addition to National Superhero Day, Tuesday the 26th was also Alien Day. This date was chosen because the xenomorphs we've come to know and love were first discovered on a moon called LV... 426. Get it? Yeah, I get April 26th? Huh? Huh? So it only seemed right to review an alien comic. Dark Horse, jumping on the bandwagon. Good for them. Next to Godzilla, the Xenomorph Soldier, as designed by H.R. Geiger, is easily my favorite monster. And I would argue the scariest movie monster of all time. I don't think that's you can argue with that statement. I've been a huge fan of the movies as long as I can remember, and I love the Dark Horse Aliens comics of the 80s and 90s, but it has been quite some time since I've cared about the licensed Alien books. For years, Dark Horse has seemed to be convinced that all readers wanted was more cheesy Aliens vs. Predator comics after a string of the underwhelming cheesy Aliens vs. Predator movies. (laughs) The good news, Brian Wood is here to remind us what we loved about the first Alien. While Wood's stories plays a lot On what we loved about the first two Alien films, he turns the story on its head and makes it very personal, which is exactly where most of the Alien comics have been falling down. Page after page of nameless colonial marines getting massacred gets old fast. So here, 
Wood only gives us one. Private First Class Zula Hendricks. She's an injured Marine recovering from a spinal surgery sent out to investigate a derelict ship on orders from the Wayland yutani group. She's accompanied by a group of synthetics, making her the only human on board. Synthetics like Bishop from Alien. There's a battle scene that takes place on the derelict ship. Spoiler alert, there's aliens in it. And he chose to make it completely silent. There's no word balloons. It's just quiet. And this Zula is being rushed off the ship. It works so well here, mainly because Tristan Jones, who recently provided art for the Vertigo Mad Max Furiosa one shot, is just wonderful. Uh, Wonderful here. You can tell he spent hours researching the look and the tech of the Aliens movies and the detail, not just in his aliens, but the military dress of the synths and Zula's spacesuit, along with his amazingly heavily shadowed backgrounds and just the detail of everything made this comic just feel scary. Wood and Jones have succeeded in making an alien comic with feeling, terror, and real humanity. There's even a fantastic twist that looks to guide this series into the future. It's not just more humans getting killed. I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. I enjoyed it. You're going to do this on Alien Day? No. You son of a bitch. I don't have a super strong attachment to aliens. It's too scary for you. No, that's not it at all. The only one I had seen all the way through was Alien Resurrection. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah, I know. All right. I am only a recent uh, convert to the aliens mythology. I, last year, I sat down and I watched all four movies over the course of a weekend, and they are great. Admittedly, I do like all four, even even the last one. Yeah. I like it. I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of these alien stories, to me, feel kind of samey. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I recognize that it's well done. I, I really like, like your use of samey. Yeah. Look, people people use that term. Why Don't use act like similar when you could say samey? They're kind of samey. I liked the art. I loved the art. I thought the art was gorgeous. Yeah, he's fantastic. The script is great. Uh, something that I really appreciated about the art is that Tristan Jones did a great job with facial expressions. Oh, yeah. Zula's the only human character in the book. Also, I think the first black star we've had of an aliens book but as the breaking only, ground <laughs> sure but as the only human character in the book she's the only one that's got a facial range beyond like stoic right you know which makes it feel even more desolate and lonely yeah and so i thought they did that really well these sorts of stories all kind of feel the same to me and so i didn't really feel, think it was breaking new ground I did enjoy it. It was well done. I'm giving it a buy it. I don't want to spoil anything for these guys, but you didn't think the twist in the story towards the end where they sort of set out their mission. You didn't think that gave it a direction. Okay, that's that we, fair. Yeah. I, I'm saying that really gave it a direction that I've never seen. I will say story. the role, the role of the synth in this book is different than what I've seen in other alien books. Definitely. Or, or alien movies. Well, and just the core mission too. Yeah. It's true. It's just the feel of them. You know what I mean? It's right. like, we found a derelict whatever. Well, yeah. It's abandoned. There's That's no the formula. How can nobody know what the xenomorphs are after 40 years of xenomorph stories? They do know. They've been covering it up. Uh, okay, Part fine. of the story is the conspiracy. The Weyland-Yutani conspiracy. They've known. They want them. Sure, I get it. <laughs> but if, if every story, you, if every new story you do is we sent a new group in and oh, xenomorphs and they've never heard of them before. Cover it up. That's the same story over and over, and you can't do that. I'm sorry. It's the military, dude. Military complex. <laughs> Come on. I liked it. I'm giving it a buy it, but it just kind of felt kind of familiar. All right. All right. Joe Patrick, let's get into some more familiar territory for you. 
Why don't you tell us about four kids walk into a bank, which sounds like the beginning of a joke. Four kids walk into a bank. Number one from Black Mask Studios, written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Tyler Boss. Here's your solicit. 11-year-old Paige and her weirdo friends have a problem. A gang of ex-cons need her dad's help on a heist. The problem is that these ex-cons are morons. If Paige wants to keep her dad out of trouble, she's going to have to pull off the heist herself. This book wasn't on my radar even a little bit. But as I was picking books to review this week, I noticed that Four Kids Walk Into a Bank was written by Matthew Rosenberg. Rosenberg also wrote the highly acclaimed mini We Can Never Go Home for Black Mask last year, which I missed out on completely. I reviewed it. One of them. You reviewed one issue. Of yeah, it. I liked it, except for the, the last page was a little on the nose, as I recall. They're like the character looks at you, the reader, and goes, we can never go home. It's like, OK, thank you for the titular line. <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of all these Star Wars. I mentioned my love of heist stories a week or so ago. So once I got wind of the premise, I knew I'd have to check this book out. The issue opens with an epic fantasy battle as a group of fearless adventurers attempt to take down a dragon. Everybody knows you can't take down a dragon with only three guys. No way. Come on. I don't care what level you are. Things aren't going well for the heroes until a tidal wave of orange soda floods the battlefield. You'd have to have one hell of a bard. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> this is how we're introduced to our group of misfit friends. Walter is terminally shy. Burger is the scrappy ginger with a filthy mouth. Stretch towers over everyone else in the seventh grade. And Paige is the 12-year-old girl that's tougher than all of them. I think the script said she was 12. The solicit said she was 11. Yeah, it's kind of all over the place. Maybe she had a birthday in between the solicit and the release. Sure. The group is failing to get through a D&D campaign spectacularly when trouble arrives in the form of four armed criminals looking for Paige's father. And see, it's all right there in the intro. There it's all go. there in the setup. There you go. I don't remember where I read this, but someone compared this to Wes Anderson meets Reservoir Dogs, and they're completely right. Uh, yeah, I get it. The book's design and the way that the characters are introduced with title cards and caption boxes is straight out of the Royal Tenenbaums. And the dialogue between the kids themselves and between the children and the criminals is a real treat to read. It's quick and clever and laced with profanities, like the best examples of Quentin Tarantino's films. But it's not all jokes. Rosenberg's script has plenty of tense moments that make you feel and fear for the characters. And when another layer of the father's connection to the criminals is exposed... It just knocked the wind out of me. The art and coloring by Tyler Boss with flatting help by Claire DeZuti. That's the unsung heroes of the comic book world. The flatters. The flatters. For those of you that don't know, many colorists employ flatters. And those are the people responsible for basically just filling in all of the white space with flat color. Just to connect everything and to create a canvas. Right, give it depth. Upon which the color artist can come in and like choose the final palette and actually uh, do effects and, and things like that. The things that make those books shine so much. Boss's lines are thin and clean and he uses the color palette to create shading instead of messy crosshatching. And the backgrounds are super detailed. Like the aforementioned Wes Anderson, every set piece has a unique aesthetic that invokes a particular mood. Boss breaks up the pages into nine or 12 panel grids at first, but sometimes he goes crazy, ending up with like two pages back to back that feature a whopping 24 panels each. Very reminiscent of Brian Michael Bendis's infamous double page spreads full of talking heads. Indeed a whopper. Indeed a whopper. And really that's what this book would be visually. Nothing but talking heads, 
except that the way Boss breaks up the pages keeps the story flowing and visually interesting. I also want to give a shout out to the letterer, which we don't do a lot on the show, Thomas Maurer. It was really good lettering. Or Thomas Maurer. And I feel like you don't, there's good lettering that you don't notice just because it's good. And then there's good lettering that you notice because it's excellent. Yes. And this then is, there's this bad is, lettering that you notice. <laughs> this is the middle one. <laughs> this book is packed full of tiny panels stuffed with a ton of words. And Maurer does an amazing job squeezing all of the dialogue in there without being obtrusive. And also it's easy to read. It, it could have been it could have been so a easy to have those balloons packed full of too tiny text. Yeah. And he just did a great job. I also loved all the hand-drawn sound effects, but <laughs> that might have been Tyler Boss incorporating that into the art, so it's hard to say. Four Kids Walking to a Bank was funny, compelling, tense, and even touching at times. I loved every moment of it. I can't recommend it highly enough. I'm giving it a huge buy-it. I'm giving it a gigantic buy-it, too. It was just way more fun than I thought it was going to be, and it reminded me of those movies in the past, like kids movies that weren't necessarily kids movies, like the Goonies yeah, and sure. Monster Squad. I mean, these are movies where kids cussed. These are movies where kids smoked cigarettes. There was a kid that carried a, a shotgun and smoked a cigar in the Monster Squad. Okay. <laughs> you don't see like that anymore. Like there's a scene in here where one of the criminals punches a little girl. Yeah. Yeah. That is not something you will ever see probably outside of comic books ever again, unless it's some highly dramatic Hollywood film about child abuse. And here, though, the way they handled it though, it was kind of off panel. In a, but what I'm saying here, and they even had a little thing. It's like, it's never okay to hit kids. Yeah. <laughs> but here it works. And the little girl's tough and takes it. And then her friend immediately shoots the guy in the eye with a slingshot. Yeah. <laughs> like this was just smart and it was funny and it was dangerous. And the kids cussed and they felt real. And I really liked it. You don't see stories about kids like this anymore. Giant buy it for me too. So that is a double buy it for Aliens Defiance and a double buy it for four kids walk into a bank. Both were number one. Now it's time for you wounded Marines and aspiring bank robbers to play critic. Head over to the THN forums at thnforums.boards.net and tell us how badly we f***ed up these reviews this week. National Superhero Day wasn't even a holiday we had heard of until this week, but now that we know, Matt, who's thrilled to have yet another excuse for binge drinking and celebration, has gone all out. This is gonna be awesome! And shut down an entire city block for a parade. Unfortunately, since we just heard about Superhero Day, we didn't have time to get the proper permits or quality guests, it seems. Oh, come on! So join us now before the cops shut this hairbrand idea down for our National Superhero Day Parade led by the gangrene jujitsu dribbles and Zen Intergalactic Ninja while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Avengers Standoff Omega from Marvel. I had such high hopes for this event when it started. I didn't even know where it was running, how it was working. Yeah, exactly. When all was said and done, the whole exercise could have easily been done in the pages of Captain America. Yes. And the and if you really want to shoehorn them in, the two bookends. Yes. Some of the tie-ins were so inconsequential to the plot that they are literally never referenced in this concluding chapter. There was like three tie-ins in the pages of New Avengers. Yeah. Never mentioned once. But I suppose that's neither here nor there. How is this issue, you might ask? Well, it's kind of a mixed bag as Steve Rogers and his combined army of Avengers 
scrambles to find the cutest little cosmic cube in the world <laughs> before Baron Zemo and his forces do. Daniel Acuna and Angel Unzueta split art duties, and just like we talked about with that issue of Captain America a few weeks ago, the two styles clash violently. Yeah, it doesn't work. There are some fun moments here, like seeing Craven on the hunt and the return of a long-lost hero just in time for him to pass on his mantle to another. Oh, fart noise. Yeah. But the actual conflict of this crossover ends off-panel. The conclusion happens off-panel. Yeah, this just didn't work at all. And it's all it's almost like the details didn't matter beyond their function to set up future storylines. And even though some of those future plots might look interesting, I can't help but feel like my time was kind of wasted. Like Marvel saying, Okay, Cap's young again, and we set up the Thunderbolts book, so who cares about the rest? Yeah. Avengers standoff had me, then it lost me. I'm going to stick with my gut. I'm going to give it a skim it. I'm going to leave it, because I just think the whole thing, if you look at it, was just ineffective, a mess. And Nick Spencer has just been dropping the ball. I don't know if it's his fault, or if it's editorial trying to get him to do stuff, but this was a waste of time. Uh, just a waste of time. You know what? You're right. It's a leave it. It's a leave it. Oh! I mean, I'm not, sure. I'm not saying that Matt is swaying my opinion with his own, but... Really looking at it, it there is mess. no reason no, it was that this had to be this way. Yeah. None. Over the garden wall, number one from Kaboom. If you're like me and don't have kids, then you probably had no idea that Over the Garden Wall was an animated miniseries that won an Emmy and aired on the Cartoon Network. It's so good. I did not know anything it's about it. It's really great. Here we get a comic adaptation of the story, and it's equal parts hilarious and creepy in the vein of old school grim fairy tales. I found this irresistible and an absolute joy to read. Unlike most watered-down kids stories today, this was funny, scary, unpredictable, and perfect for readers of all ages. Over the Garden Wall touched my cold black heart. I am giving it a buy it. I have to see this show now. It's sort of like it's sort of like Tony Millionaire style. Right. Yes, Grim Fairy Tales. It like it reminded me of 80s kids cartoons like uh, Mr. Toad or whatever. Yeah. Uh, meets Maki's or Sock Monkey. N not Maki's because that's just kind of outrageous humor. Well, but, but still, I mean, the style. Sock Monkey with like the lush. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so good. You'll love the show. A Year of Marvels, colon, the amazing number one from Marvel. This is another one of those digital infinite comics, this time a year-long, long Halloween-style series where each chapter focuses on a different month. As with the rest of the Infinite Comics print versions, this collects the first two chapters, February and March. It's not a compelling mystery like The Long Halloween, however. It's just a couple of goofy stories centered around the Vulture interrupting Spider-Man's date on Valentine's Day and Ant-Man and the Grizzly getting tricked into some light breaking and entering. I'm not sure how that one was supposed to be March themed or even... Uh, it's not That's themed around a holiday day. or even March. <laughs> It's kind of fun, but completely inconsequential, and the art is kind of a mess to begin with, and it's not being done any favors by taking layouts meant to be viewed a panel at a time on a screen, and then kind of Frankensteining them into a regular comic book format. Nice use of Frankensteining. Thank you. By all means, check out the digital versions as it's meant to be seen. In fact, I read the third chapter digitally, the one that came out for April, and it was great. But I'm giving the print version of A Year of Marvels a leave it. Okay. Don't buy this in print. Just don't. 
Okay, I'm ready. Strawberry Shortcake number one from IDW. It seems no 80s nostalgia is safe from comic adaptation these days, and Strawberry Shortcake is the latest to be offered to kids who have no business remembering this stuff. Regardless, artist Amy Meberson is just wonderful on art here, giving the story a criminally cute look. I'm not going to tell you I was a fan in the 80s because I don't want to go to prison, but honestly, I found this comic hard to resist. In the 80s, it would have been fine. If you have a little princess looking to get into comics with some jokes that will even make mom and dad chuckle, you can't go wrong with Strawberry Shortcake. Boys can like Strawberry Shortcake, too. That's true. I'm giving this a Leave huge... Leave your norms at the door. <laughs> Me and my norms. I'm giving this a huge but qualified buy it. Let's get into it. Micronauts, number one from IDW, Nerd Bet at Stake here. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay, okay. Well, there was no rocket fist in this issue. No, there wasn't. But Cullen Bunn and David Balian still managed to hold my interest. Yes, the Marvel additions to the Micronauts are missing, but I thought that Bunn's characters were cool and likable. I like the, the Egyptian guy with the pharaoh chin. Acro year is pretty awesome. There are several fun nods to the toy line in the form of character ranks or titles like Orbital Defender and Space Glider. And I didn't think it got annoying in that way. I really like David Baldeon's art, but here's where Micronauts number one kind of falls apart. Baldeon just does breakdowns for most of the issue, and three other artists step in to provide finished art. The work still looks like Baldeon drew it pretty much throughout, but pages vary wildly in terms of how polished and detailed they look. It looked just unfinished. I don't think it looked unfinished, but it's you could tell when rushed. they switched how artists. Rushed. Because one artist was like really great, detailed, thick black inks, yeah. and then it was just like very plain, thin line. Yeah, gotta whatever, finish this for page. eight pages. <laughs> yeah, some of the work is really gorgeous, some is good but not great, and it's all kind of inconsistent. Here's where I'm doubting myself. I have no horse in this fight. We didn't have anything on the line for this nerd bet. Nerd stripe. We stripes. Nobody's keeping track I of am nerd stripes. Sort of. So I don't want to think that I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses because I did enjoy reading it. So maybe I'll dial it back a little and say that it's a skim it. Okay. This was mediocre at best, and you have to admit that. I I thought it was better than I was expecting, and that is the truth. It was slightly better than I expected too, but mediocre at best. It's better than I was expecting, and I'm interested enough to read the next one. Okay, we'll call this a push. We won't call it. It's not a win or a loss. It's a push. Yeah. Okay. Because you're, the bet was Joe won't give a shit, which <laughs> yeah. is really hard to quantify. <laughs> Doctor Strange, Last Days of Magic, number one from Marvel. You forgot the colon, dude. Writers Jason Aaron, Jerry Duggan, colon. and James Robinson give us three tales of three different Marvel U magicians, two of which I don't think we've ever seen before. And their stories are kick-ass. Why this isn't an annual, I have no idea. And putting it out as a standalone one-shot that directly ties into the regular series is probably going to hurt the book's sales. Was this Last Days of Magic Part 1? Because the issue of Doctor Strange that came out this week was Last Days of Magic Part 2. This... I guess. Or did the storyline start last month? No. It started here, I think, which is a really weird way to do it. Marvel okay. probably should have put these stories out as extras in the last three issues of Doc Strange to lead up to the last days of Magic story. But when you're trying to control the market share, you got to cover the stands and That's comics, right. I guess. You got to do reprints of digital comics, whether they make sense or not. <laughs> That's right. Regardless, I can't deny that this was fun and really well written, although... The name of the menace that's attacking the sorcerers is a little on the nose. What's the name? No spoilers here, Joe. You'll have to buy Doctor Strange Last Days of Magic number one and see. I'm giving it a buy it. The Fourth Planet, number one, from Chapter House. Our favorite Canadian publisher is back with a new series from Fred Kennedy and Miko Makiacek. Woo. That reads kind of like a sci-fi version of Game of Thrones. 
We're introduced to three different groups here that couldn't be more different, but who will undoubtedly intertwine as the series progresses. Makia Check's almost impressionistic art is loose and lacking in fine detail, but still expertly sets each scene and paints a beautiful picture of this world. The coloring is especially gorgeous, as bold flashes of orange accentuate an otherwise drab environment. It reminded me of the visuals in the video game Mirror's Edge. Oh. Have you ever played that? Yeah, yeah. Where everything is white and the starkness of the city is cut by the bright paths that the free-running couriers take. Can we please call it what it is? Parkour. It's parkour, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is another great book from Chapter House with a compelling story and absolutely lovely art. I'm giving The Fourth Planet number one a buy it. Vikings number one from Titan. I simply adore the History Channel's Viking show. It's equal parts psychedelic and violent with long, slow battle scenes and quiet visions of ancient Norway and the weird warrior people that live there. The comic version, however, failed to capture any of the magic of the show and really just comes off as bad and boring adaptation of a fantastic show, but with pretty bad art. I'm giving this a leave it. Sabertooth Dan, number one from Scout Comics. That's the coolest name for a dude ever. Sabertooth Dan. <laughs> At first, I didn't really know what to think about this weird little fantasy adventure by C.R. Mountain. That That's is a great name, too. Definitely not that person's Christian name. You don't know that. Yeah, I do. But by the end, I was completely charmed. Dan, the Sabertooth boy raised by fastidious wolves... There's a really great line in this where Dan is complaining in his inner monologue. He's complaining about how he never gets to have any fun and he can't go hang out with his friends and he can't even complain to anybody because everybody knows what great parents wolves are. <laughs> Just like that's a thing. Okay. <laughs> it was hilarious. Dan longs for the kind of freedom to have fun that his friends enjoy. So when adventure comes calling in the form of a swashbuckling little girl in a mysterious pirate ship, Dan finds it impossible to say no. There were moments that had me laughing out loud, like the thing about the wolves. Mountain's sketchy line art isn't always as tight as maybe it should be, but it's pretty good throughout and straight up breathtaking at times. There's just a couple of times where he zooms in a little bit and it looks like you've zoomed in on a drawing instead uh, of like, it, it's a, just a little too loose as compared to like the very tight. So maybe they did it in post. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. But... It's really great. I loved it. This was a very pleasant surprise. Perfect for all ages. Sabretooth Dan number one definitely gets a buy it. Killbox number one from American Gothic Press. The good people at American Gothic Press do not want to respond to my emails, so I had to resort to, we'll just say, other ways of finding this comic book. Regardless! There are other ways. <laughs> there are other ways. It's for sale in comic shops. This is a story of a deadly game played in a four square mile area that switches from city to city year to year. Gamblers watch online and pay huge amounts of money to do so. The contestants in the game are thrust into this area with the mission to kill each other. They have special weapons on special days. For instance, the first day of this competition, everyone is running around with syringes with poison in them. So it's very creative. It's equal parts The Purge and The Hunger Games with really solid black and white art here. This is the first book that I have read from American Gothic Press that I think I really enjoyed. I am giving Killbox number one a buy it. Fanta. <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round and Fanta <laughs> is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of poor Walter reacting, so to speak, 
to the sudden presence of four dangerous criminals, as seen in the pages of four kids walking to a bank number one. Now, while I try and smooth things out with the cops, why don't you head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where normally you would see ludicrous speed reviews from our trusty love slave and comics therapy host, Aaron Myers. This week, he had a sick pup. Oh. Didn't have time to write. He okay. had to rush his dog to the vet. I was going to rush down there to check his sex kennel to see if he died in there or something. And no. like, oh, man, I didn't hose him out for at least two days. We'd have smelled it. We'd have smelled <laughs> okay. it. Everything turned out fine. The puppy's fine. Good news. He'll be back next week. Good news. Now if you can just figure out what to do with those damn kids. I know, right? This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Joe and I are interviewing the ghosts of several fallen Captain Americas to get... I liked Captain's America. Yeah, I wasn't sure which one was correct, so I just did both. Yeah. <laughs> to get their reviews of Captain America's Civil War to prepare Joe and I for our own review hitting YouTube this week. You might not know this. These movies come out early in Captain America Valhalla. They give them like a special screen. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, of course. Joe, Isaiah Bradley and William Nashland both loved it. But Roscoe Simmons won't shut up about how bad they got Cap's personality wrong. Boy, you really scoured the oh, Wikipedia. Yeah. For- Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> While these fallen Caps battle it out, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week? Well, I can't help myself. My pick for next week is Thunderbolts number one. From Marvel Comics, written by Jim Zub, with art by John Malin. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here's your solicitor. Your boyfriend, Marvel, keeps slapping you, and you just keep coming back from more. I love the Thunderbolts. <laughs> from the ashes of Avengers standoff! <laughs> They're a renegade team rampaging across the Marvel Universe under the direction of the Winter Soldier. But are the Thunderbolts heroes or villains, and do even they know for sure? I love the Thunderbolts. I do, too. I've loved the Thunderbolts in almost every incarnation. I got. I lost a little bit of interest when we did the whole Warren Ellis, Norman Osborn prison thing. Oh, see, I thought that was fun. I mean, it was well written, but yeah. I prefer the Thunderbolts as like the shady characters that at first are trying to pull a fast one, but secretly kind of like being good guys. Yeah, you know, That's what I like about sure. the Thunderbolts. And this is most of the classic team back together, plus the Winter Soldier, plus that cute little Cosmic Cube girl. Yeah, I don't need that there. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but I do like... Bucky here as opposed to the man on the wall. As yes. much as I like that Bucky comic, it was just bizarre. It's weird with weirdness. Bucky. It, yeah. It's a weird place for him. Yeah. I'm not sold on this artist. We will see. I've only seen a little bit of preview work here and there, but I love the Thunderbolts. I'm excited for them to make a comeback. I got to give them my support. All right. What's your pick for next week? My pick for next week, a rare Jim's up double pick Dungeons and Dragons. Number one, this is Dungeons and Dragons 2016. For those of you keeping count from IDW publishing written by Jim Zub with art by Nelson Daniel covered by Max Dunbar. I love Nelson Daniel. I love Max Dunbar. Minsk and Boo are back and things have never looked more dire as mysterious forces draw the legendary ranger and his crew of adventurers to Ravenloft, the realm of terror where they find themselves face to face with the undead horrors and the land of odd eternal night. I love Ravenloft stories. I think that's just supposed to be the land of eternal night. Yeah, I know, but I, <laughs> I threw odd in there anyway. I love Ravenloft stories. It's sort of Ravenloft is kind of the gothic horror Draculas. portion. Yeah. Dracula's and Frankenstein's. Yeah. <laughs> Scary stuff. <laughs> and Jim Zub is the only person who's been able to write Dungeons and Dragons at IDW and make me care about it at all. The guy was born to write fantasy. Hopefully he's born to write the Thunderbolts too. We shall see. The THN trade of the week. 
Look, I don't want to say that it's because there were no other good ones. I genuinely do like this artist. I think this looks interesting. You I know, know but to say that it is outside of our normal milieu is probably <laughs> putting it generously. You are really going for it with your vocabulary this week. I'm trying. Like, do not play Scrabble with Joe Patrick. I know. He will fuck you up. Irregardlessly, I will win. <laughs> The THN trade of the week goes to something new, colon, Tales from a Makeshift Bride, graphic novel from First Second. We love First Second. First Second's great. This is written and drawn by Lucy Nisley. Nisley? Nisley. Probably Lucy Nisley. Probably Silent K. Yeah. Like the P in Pterodactyl. Yes. It's 304 pages for $19.99. That's just a stupid deal. That's a straight up bargain. I don't even know what to say about that. Here's your solicit. In 2010, Lucy and her long-term boyfriend, John, broke up. Three long, lonely years later, John returned to New York, walked into Lucy's apartment, and proposed. <gasps> what? This is not that story. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it is the story of what came after. Okay. The wedding. Got it. DIY Maven, Lucy Nisley, was fascinated by American wedding culture, but also sort of horrified by it. Just like me. Aren't we all? So she set out to plan and execute the affordable DIY wedding to end all adorable DIY weddings. And she succeeded. This graphic novel is the story of how Lucy built a barn, invented a whole new kind of photo booth, and managed to turn an outdoor wedding on a rainy day into a joyous, though muddy, triumph. Okay, I changed my mind. I have no f***ing interest in this at all. This sounds like reading Pinterest. Okay. Like, why did you? I was surprised that you jumped to his defense. Oh, I was like, oh, for a second. I'm like, oh, yeah, we like them. And then I read the solicit and went, oh. And like, okay. Like I said, <laughs> this is not our normal cup of meat. Yeah. But I like Lucy Nisley. I like first second books. 300 bu- pages for 20 love bucks. love DIY weddings. I love <laughs> photo booths at weddings. What a chance to cut loose. Am I right? Check it out. Don't be a grumpus. Hey, whatever. Joe, Scar Turpin and Bob Russo are really getting into it over this Spidey catching the shield thing. I'm going to go banish these surly spirits back to the neither world before this gets ugly. In the meantime... Why don't you nerds head to the THN forums and tell us what we should be reading next week? Who the hell is Scar Turpin? Look it up, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wild card week here on the Two Headed Nerds, so we're introducing a new segment that we're calling THN Team Up. This week, two of our faithful listeners, Jason Sachs and Anthony, currently presiding in Brooklyn, got together in real life. They met like real people. IRL? IRL. (laughs) They were like, Anthony, ASL. And Anthony was like, what? (laughs) Uh, Poop emoji? Question mark? They had a nice chat. They talked about us. They talked about comics. They talked about rebirths and rebootings. They had a grand time, and we're going to share that with you. Guys, take it away. Hi, this is Jason Sachs currently residing at a uh, coffee shop in the East Village. It's not a coffee shop. You're in a diner. It's a Cur- diner. Currently residing in a diner in the East there Village. We go. Hey, what's up? This is uh, Anthony currently residing in Brooklyn. So what is it about THN that makes you love to call on each week? That's a great question because this is like something I would never, ever do. Like I have nothing to do with social media or any of that garbage. But I, I don't 
know. Like, I need to call in because I really enjoy it. Like, I've, told, I've said, I have zero comic book friends outside of this thing. And that's, so that makes me want to call in. Because then, like, in some way, I sort of get to talk about comics with someone. Even though it's not, like, back and forth, I get to throw some, <laughs> I get to throw something at somebody, and then they talk about it and make fun of it or whatever. And it's, it's, it's at least some, in some way gratifying, you know? You have a busy life. Well, yeah. Three kids, there are two kids in the house. Two kids. Grad school. Grad school. Teaching. Teaching. Comics are a break. Yeah, totally. I mean, I have an amazing commute every day. 45 minutes in, 45 minutes home, and it's spent reading comics. Mm-hmm. For sure. See, for me, it's it's my second life. So I have a, I have a real job that I have real responsibilities in. And then, for me, getting involved in comics and doing my writing and thinking about comics is very meditative. It very much takes me out of my head and puts me in another place. So my friends often are like, why do you do so much writing about this, of all things? And what, what happens to me when I sit in front of the, the keyboard or I sit in front of a recorder is my eyes sometimes roll back in my head yeah. and the words just come out. That's cool. And it's very relaxing. Yeah, you know, I, I do share that meditative quality as well. Like, I like being transported away. And that's what comics do. Mm-hmm. But, like, most specifically, like, with THN, it's just it's a cool community. The community makes such a difference. And one of the things that I've loved about meeting people like Rod, Ruth, and uh, Chase Magnet, both of whom need to call in more, uh, is to, like, have the names behind the faces and realize these are people who I'd be hanging out with all the time if they live where I live. Right. Um, and, like, one of the coolest experiences has been, like, hanging out with Twitter friends at various different conventions, which is why I hope to someday come to Okamakan. And meanwhile, this is like a virtual community each week where each of us are kind of taking part in our mutual love for the for this crazy art form. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in New York because I did a six-hour interview with Jim Shooter yesterday. That's pretty awesome. It was amazing. It was fascinating. It's for one of my forthcoming books. I have several forthcoming books. That's really neat. So you guys need to buy them. You get to actually say one of my forthcoming books. Yeah, and I'm working on a comic, too. So you guys buy it when it comes out. Oh, it'll be bought. Will you offer it digitally? <laughs> I'll, I'll offer it any way you want to have Done. it, baby. I will, I any will way you want to have it. I will purchase it digitally. Joe wanted to hear stuff about DC. Yeah. You want to rap about that for a sec? Okay. So, as you know, I'm sure, they're rebirthing. Yeah, again. This is not a birth. This is a rebirth. Yeah. So, it has been born at one point, apparently shoved back up, and is now being born again. I'm trying to get a mental image of being shoved back up, and it's kind of painful. This is what this is apparently what happened. Okay. They birthed out 52 things. They took all 52 together, put them back up, reformed it somehow, and are rebirthing something. They have a litter of monthly children. Yes. We're dissatisfied with with how, how only they were. Yeah. Oh, gotta take you back, put you back in there, and then now rebirth you into something into a prettier model. You're excited about it. I, you know, I want to be. I want to be. Like I missed. I, I I stopped reading DC after the New Fifty Two. 
you know, I gave it a real shot, and then I was just like, this isn't, you know, what I want to, what I want to read, what I want to be into. Superman is not my Superman. And I hate hearing people, hearing people say, that was, that was, if that, if that's caught, that was from the booth. I'm sitting in, I didn't toot. But anyway, um, the Superman that I like, like, is, is a selfless guy that saves people, and that's not who they were giving me, right? And I, I miss that guy. And, uh, I just wasn't really, you know, big on the direction of the company. So I'm hoping, because again, they got rid of Legacy, but Legacy's coming back, apparently. So that kind of excites me, and I want to go back. What about you? So I actually like Grant Morrison's Superman especially, um, and I'm a big fan of the Gene Nguyen Yang Superman story. But um, I'm reminded of a quote by the late, great Wally Wood, which is, comics will break your heart. Mm-hmm. He meant it in terms of professionals, and they won't be able to, you really can't make a living doing comics, but mm-hmm. the fact is comics will break your heart. The good comics get canceled, mm-hmm. the characters you like will never be the characters that you like, and they'll do things that mess them up. To me, everything old is new again. This is a repeat of 1990, 1987 and Crisis, and 1994, and Zero Hour, and every other crossover Honestly, like when Zero Hour happened, it was what, meant to what, clean up DC continuity. What really changed? Well, they made one Hawkman instead of many Hawkmen. Okay. They got rid of the Legion. No, no, they didn't get rid of the Legion. They started them over. They started them over. For apparently, a really interesting run. But oh, it was really, it was actually really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just I was talking about that with some friends yesterday. I don't know. I don't care. I really don't. <laughs> In the end, I just don't care. Like I'll read the good books and I'll ignore the bad. Books. Yeah, but are you gonna pick up the the Rebirth, the, the eighty page giant? Yeah, because I'm a sucker. Why not? I know. I'm going to too. How can you resist an eighty page book? I, I mean, I can. <laughs> you going to buy it? I'm going to buy it. Sight unseen? I'm going to buy it digitally. We're going to buy it. We are, we are, we are definitely going to buy it. And uh, we, I mean, I've got high hopes for it. I'm hoping that, like, you know, I don't know, like, they're, they're saying, like, the JSA is going to be back at some point. You know, what that's going to look like, I don't know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I love the JSA. Yeah. I, I want the Legion of Superheroes back. So this is, this is the weird thing, because, like, because I do so much comics history, yeah. I don't care as much about characters. Oh, right on. Because, you know, I'm just so used to things changing. We got through the Spider Clone. We got through the New Fifty Two. You know, it's all the same to me in some ways. So wait, you're saying like New Fifty Two is 2011's Spider Clone saga? Ooh, is that what you're saying? Ooh, yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. That was awesome. And not exactly what I was expecting, but in some ways, even better. You can't control these nerds. You can't. Yeah. Thank you, first of all, to Anthony and Jason. Yeah, that was great, guys. And we're going to put out the call to all of our listeners out there. Uh, If you have an idea for a THN team up, if you have somebody that you know from the forums that you talk to a lot or on Twitter or Facebook or what have you. Or somebody you want to talk to. Make a new friend. Sure. And you have a topic, whether it's something we said on the show or something we talked about or just something in comics in general that you heard about, even if we didn't cover it, hit us up. We'll facilitate it. We'll put you together with whatever person if we need to. We'll give you their home address, their phone number. Let's make it happen. We want more of these THN team-ups. They don't all have to be in the same room. We have the internet. We have Skype. We have, you know, where to contest about all that. It's the forums. Oh, yeah. We'll make a new forum section just for this. Pitch your ideas there. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for the pre-Civil War Party episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that think quality superhero films have the power to make America great again, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any place where quality podcasts are 
hand it out to the public. And while you're there... Dispensed. Dispensed. (laughs) And while you are there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to our latest sustaining donor, our man on the streets, Damon Chan. Damon! And of course, to all of our donors, if we had enough room, we'd keep you all in our sex dungeon. It's true. We'd love to keep you all in sex kennels. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, it's easy. Just click the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to the TwoHeadedNerd.com website, where you can find links to all of our contact info. We're on Periscope. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on the Tumblr. We're on... Well, we're not really on Skype very often because we don't use it. Other than Skype's not really a social media Strange messages a... from what I can only tell are Eastern European hookers. I don't know. Male and female. Hopefully. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and you can also... Call us at 402-819-4894. It's the Ziggurat Hotline. That is how you can answer the question of the week, which you should be doing already if you're not. Or just drop us a line and say hey, or respond to any of our segments. Just call us up to tell us you hate us. Call, yeah, whatever. Threaten us. We love it. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Baum's Spotify profile. Wow. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jim Kettner and his wife, Lacey. Not only did Kettner finish penciling the first draft of their upcoming graphic novel, it's about damn time, sir, but he and the missus are moving into a new house as we speak. Word to you, crazy kids. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or you might have to move to stop your retailer from crapping on your doorstep. This is a two-headed nerd saying, we'll see you at Free Comic Book Day, Legend Comics and Coffee, this coming Saturday. But for now, we're signing off. Get excited. This is my excited voice. (laughs) I am pumped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.